We just, across the Midtown movement, we are just celebrating what God is doing through this ministry in Napier. Um, if you are unfamiliar, if you're relatively new here, you may not know this, but um, for years, um, Midtown through Jonathan Nash has been laboring in the neighborhood of Napier, which is uh, South Nashville. Uh, it is a, a poor, uh, predominantly black, 99% uh, neighborhood. And um, Jonathan is a white man who loves Jesus. And he and his family have been in Napier for, I think, six years now. And uh, they just felt a burden to, they came here to plant a church just like I did with Lee. Um, and they felt a burden to go to Napier. And so they have been living there. Jonathan's been labor laboring there first is like uh, with urban farming and uh, through food programs and then just building relationships. And now DeCarlos Robinson uh, and Jonathan are partnering together. And Lord willing, there will be a, uh, a worshiping church body uh, in the Napier community within this calendar year. Um, but the Lord has been doing a beautiful thing. And so this right here is just a celebration of what he's been doing over this last year in that community. And I just wanna highlight uh, one thing and then talk about how that applies to us. So if you open to kind of the third page over here at the top where it says uh, neighbors become family, 30 plus kids of all ages meet every Thursday to share in fun and faith. Um, and I love the picture at the top with DeCarlos and, and all of the children. Um, Y'all, this is, this is huge. Um, these are kids who are in uh, really, really difficult situations, really difficult home life. Um, and in a lot, of the way, a lot of ways, the world is communicating to these kids through their circumstances and through various people um, that you have nothing and you are nothing. And no one cares about you. And every week now, because of the, the work of DeCarlos and Jonathan and the men and women that have partnered in Napier, and because of us and these other uh, congregations in Midtown, as we are giving our hands and we're giving our resources, um, every single week, these kids are hearing from somebody, no, 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 the truth is that you have everything in Jesus. And the truth is that you are loved. The truth is that you matter. The truth is that you have dignity, that the Lord has created you for his good purposes and he loves you. And think about the transformation that that does in a single heart, but think about the transformation that does in a family and in an entire community uh, as it's compounded with interest over the years. And um, something I wanna say to us is that Napier is a, uh, a deep, deep, deep gift to us. Um, it's a deep gift to me on a personal level, um, getting to have DeCarlos on staff and Jonathan and getting to um, be reminded. Yeah, I, th I think this has really come into focus for me this week because some of y'all also, this may be news to y'all as well, um, we have adopted a, an Afghan refugee family as our congregation and we are working with them to like get them settled and welcome them and help them navigate this new place. And we've actually started it, we've gotten to meet them and so more, we'll give you more information on that as it comes. Um, but you know, for a long time, I was sitting there thinking, I, I really don't know if I should have signed up to help with this because it's so inconvenient. Because they live far away, there's a language barrier. Um, I've bus I'm busy, I have a lot of stuff to do. This is so inconvenient. In a lot of ways, doing any kind of cross-cultural ministry, anything that's uh, like this is so inconvenient. And um, I was reminded this week, because I got to meet this family personally for the first time, 
Uh, oh no, this is worth it. But we we're, we're hearing about this in our sermon. But um, we don't live in a neutral world. We live in a world where there is active spiritual warfare, where people are being dissuaded from reaching out across lines and loving each other and bringing the gospel of Jesus to people who've never heard. Um, and so the gift of Napier to our community and to me personally is that um, we have these reminders and these encouragements that are melting the deadness and coldness off of our hearts to say, hey, remember why we're here. Remember what you have in Christ. Remember why we exist. Um, and so I just want to say, one, um, celebrating what God is doing. So I hope you all take the time after the service to take this with you and just celebrate and pray uh, with and for this team. Um, but also thank God for giving us this gift. Um, thank God that you are reaching in to the worlds that I and we are trying to craft for ourselves where we are always comfortable and never challenged uh, because that is death. And thank God for Napier for being um, one of Jesus's beautiful inroads into my heart and the hearts of, uh, of our congregation to say, no, 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 that's not where life is. I've saved you from that. <laughs> Follow me into what is truly life. So I'm gonna pray for Napier. Uh, Father, Lord, we, again, we just bless you. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you um, oh, for the work uh, that in, in many ways, this is a community that feels like the enemy just has a stranglehold. Uh, but he doesn't. He doesn't at all because you are all-powerful. All he has been defeated. And as much as he works to steal, kill, and destroy um, your spirit, in the world, uh, in your people, uh, is, is infinitely more powerful. And so thank you for uh, putting a calling in the hearts of these men and women who are actively working every day, every week in this community. Um, thank you for the calling you've put in the hearts of men and women and children in this community who have been praying for uh, a movement like this for a long time. Thank you for their faithfulness. Lord, thank you for uh, putting into the hearts of our people uh, to give uh, of themselves, to give their time, to give um, our finances, uh, to give whatever you are asking us to give. But Lord, I pray um, most of all that you continue to bear fruit through this ministry um, in our hearts, Lord, in our lives, as you uh, continually have to shake us awake um, and, and, and call us to what is truly life and lead us away from the deception uh, that promises life but is really death. And Lord, I pray that you continue to bear fruit in this community. I pray that this community would be a, a bright and shining beacon of your love and your light in the lives of men and women and families. Lord, I pray your protection. I pray that you would uh, bind the enemy, that you would bind all violence, that you would bind all hatred, that you would bind uh, the evils of poverty, that you would uh, bring life and flourishing and wholeness, Lord. And I pray that uh, you do this in such a way that you would encourage our brothers and sisters who are on the front lines um, that they could see the fruit that you're bearing um, and that they would get to celebrate even as their heart breaks uh, every day for different stories of how the enemy is working. Lord, you, you are superior and we praise you and we worship you and we uh, watch with gratitude and expectancy as your gospel uh, goes deeply into the roots of that community to grow uh, beautiful fruit. And I uh, pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today um, we are continuing our series 
on, uh, it's called Be Curious, and we're studying Jesus, trying to have new eyes uh, through the, the new eyes that these people have that are encountering Jesus for the first time in these gospel accounts. And we are asking the Lord to do something that only he can do. Lord, give us a supernatural clarity of who you are. Um, because we have built up layers upon layers of cold and dead and ashy um, versions of you that we've come up with ourselves, that we've been told by other people, uh, both well-meaning and ill-intentioned. Um, but we really need to see you for who you are because we really have a, a deep need and a desire to meet with the, the real and living Jesus. And so um, this morning... Uh, the passage that we find ourselves in, uh, we'll get there in just a second, but um, right before this story in, in Luke's account where we are, um, Jesus is, is on the way to this place, and he is in the boat with his disciples, and there uh, arises on the Sea of Galilee this tremendous storm that is terrifying to the disciples, and uh, it, it is a storm that they believe could potentially cost them their lives. And so uh, at some point, Jesus gets up and it says rebukes the wind and the waves and tells them to be still. And then he turns to his disciples who are horrified in a beautiful way at his, his awesome power. And he says, uh, he asks this question, where is your faith? Where is your faith? And this is not a shaming question. Um, Jesus doesn't traffic in shame, so it's not a shaming question, but it's a loving question. He's drawing them to life. He's leading them to life. And this, uh, that story, um, as, as Luke sets it up in his gospel narrative, is directly connected to this story uh, where we are now. And so it's, it, it would do us good to stop right here at the beginning and try to answer that question a little bit for ourselves. Um, where is our faith? And one way to help you think about this, where do I put my faith? Um, maybe maybe uh, it's not a direct synonym, but it, it would translate if we exchange faith for comfort. What, what brings me comfort? You know, when I'm tempted to fear, when I'm tempted to be afraid in this life of things that might happen, what brings me comfort? What do I find solace in? Where, do I, where does my mind go? And then I have peace when I think, oh, okay, thank, thankfully this is true. Where do I find comfort? And then a companion question that always goes with where is your faith is where is your fear? What are you afraid of? What are you guarding against? What are you protecting yourself against? What are you busying yourself to make sure that you avoid this circumstance or this person? What or who are you afraid of? And as you think about this, don't, um, don't give yourself the church answer. Give yourself the real answer. What do you find yourself really thinking about? What are you really afraid of? What really brings you comfort? And maybe write that down so you can just kind of have that with you as we go this morning. So I'm going to ask uh, Alicia, I think, if Alicia would come read our passage. We're in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26. So we'd love for you all to, to turn there. 
Luke 8:26-39. Then they sailed to the country of Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So they gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from who the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right hand, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, again, we come to you and we ask you to bless uh, the reading and the preaching and the hearing of your word, Lord. I pray that uh, you would give me clarity. Um, and more than that, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do its good work, that you would prepare all of our hearts as ready soil uh, for you to, to plant and grow uh, what it is that you want to develop in us as you give us new life. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, Jesus and his disciples, after this uh, amazing, terrible storm that Jesus supernaturally ends like that, they find themselves on the shore opposite of Galilee. This is a Gentile place. And uh, immediately they are confronted with a man who has a demon. Uh, and we find out later multiple demons. But he is, he is a demon-possessed man. So for us in 2022, we need to just stop there. And we need to ask, you know, what is the deal with demons? And what do we believe about that today? Um, and so if you'll allow me just a couple minutes here, we'll do a little, little deep dive. Uh, and then we'll keep going with the passage. But uh, we hear this from Paul in Ephesians 6. He says to, uh, to the Christians there in the Ephesian church, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay, so we have that from Paul. Um, demons are real. Um, Satan is real, and Satan is actively scheming to do what he does, which is to steal, kill, and destroy. And so demons are subject to him, and they are about the same business that he is about. Um, and as Paul says here, um, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against these spiritual powers 
uh, over this present darkness. So the, the evil that we find in the world, the evil that we find between us uh, and in ourselves, um, there's an active force who is encouraging, who is pushing, who is leading and deceiving to that present darkness, uh, to create darkness, to move people away from God and, and this relationship that we were created for to find life in him alone. And so um, these demons are spiritual beings. They're under Satan's authority. They hate God. And so they set themselves about, they know that they can't defeat him. So they set themselves about uh, deceiving and afflicting and uh, trying to destroy people who are the crown of his creation. Um, and we see this like demons working both individually and collectively. Um, on an individual level, they possess and oppress people. And um, we see in scripture, if you look for that in scripture, you're going to find an extreme <laughs> uh, height of that in Jesus's earthly ministry. And so the idea being uh, most likely that uh, the, the volume was turned up on demon possession during Jesus' earthly ministry because I think the evil one was seeing like this is like the crux of the battle. And so um, if you read the rest of the New Testament, you see the Old Testament, you see that that happens certainly, but not, we don't hear about it to the same degree. So it's, it's living in this place as I think it was C.S. Lewis that talked about, we don't want to be magicians or materialists. We don't want to go, we don't want to be magicians and look for demons under every rock um, because that's not reality. But we also don't want to be materialists and say, um, you know, we're just rational beings and there is no such thing as the supernatural world. Um, so, so they are real. Um, they are at work in this world. Um, but, and there's also a, a corporate, a, a way that de demons work corporately uh, in cultures and on people. And so an example from the Old Testament is this uh, Psalm 106. It says, um, the people sacrificed their sons and daughters to the demons. And what's being referenced there is these demons were setting themselves up as false gods. So these foreign gods like Molech, which is the, the god being talked about here, um, called for people to literally sacrifice their children into a fire and destroy them as an offering to him. Um, and so the reality is there are no other gods besides God, but demons set themselves up as false gods and seek to lead people away from God and do very destructive uh, things. And so in the New Testament, uh, Paul talks about demons in this way in 1 Timothy 4.1. He says that some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And then he goes on to say, <laughs> it's not throwing children into a fire, it's legalism. And that should wake us up because it's like, wow, anything that leads us away from faith in Jesus, the finished work of Christ, that life is found in him alone, um, anything that is this internal and external force and pressure moving us to find life and safety and protection in something other than the finished work of Jesus is demonic activity. It is, it is the, the working together in the world uh, of these demonic forces that are leading people astray. And so, um, you know, you think about like the Greek gods or these false gods in, in ancient Israel uh, that were around and think about what could that be for us? Uh, the, the enemy is obviously in, in places that are places like America where uh, we have a lot more materialists than we do magicians. Uh, he enjoys working in much subtler ways. There aren't a whole lot of people throwing their children into fires and praising false gods, um, but there's a lot of darkness and a lot of demonic activity that is 
um, just a, a little more subtle. And we'll get into some of that um, here in a little bit. But whether they are working individually or corporately, um, whether they're working, concentrating on one particular person or, or a culture of people or a group of people, um, we get a, a really um, helpful, distinctive picture here in this passage of the work that they're doing in the life of this one man uh, that helps us see what are they up to. Um, when they work, what are they actually doing? And as we look at this man in this passage, uh, we see a few things. One is that they are always isolating. They're isolating people from community. They're isolating people from the love of God expressed through other people. Um, he's driven out to live among the dead, it says. It says that these demons drove him out into the desert to live among the tombs far away from everybody else. Um, Sometimes uh, people who are possessed by demons are empowered with a supernatural ability to be a vessel for harm to others. It says that um, the people tried to chain him up and he kept breaking chains that was humanly impossible to break these metal chains that were binding him. And it said that he kept fighting people to the point that they were so scared that nobody could face him and nobody would go out there after him. Um, we also see uh, they degrade people and make them like animals. Um, he was naked. He was crazy. <laughs> he was crying out and cutting himself constantly. From Mark's account of this uh, story, it says, Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Man, that is just like gut-wrenching to see a uh, person made in the image of God being tor tormented like this. And, and lastly, um, people lose themselves. Uh, they, they no longer are themselves, but they have uh, taken on the, uh, their, their personality and the person of their tormentors. As this man is asked, you know, Jesus asks, what is your name? And he says, he doesn't say his name. He says, Legion, uh, I am these demons. Uh, but one last thing that's really important about demons is that they know their end. They know, uh, Revelation 23, that they're going to be cast into the abyss, that that is what awaits them. And so between now and that time, and they don't know when that time is, and neither do we, uh, they want to stay as, as far away from Jesus as possible. <laughs> And they want to stay um, as active as possible doing this destructive work. Um, but here in this passage, that's what's very interesting, is that this man who is possessed by 5,000 demons runs to Jesus. What is happening there? From Mark's account, again, it says, And when this man saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. What is happening well, here's a, here's a clue from John's gospel. This is Jesus talking, and he says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him, and my Father is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of his hand. So what's happening is the Father is drawing this man, and even 5,000 demons cannot prevent that from happening. That is the power of our God. And so we have this beautifully tragic picture of this man who's basically been demeaned and desecrated uh, to the point of being a, an animal, really, functionally. I mean, he's just like making animal noises. He's grunting and squawking and screaming, and he's naked, and he's cutting himself, and he's, 
He's living far away from uh, all other civilization for years and years and years. And think about what that does to a person. Think about the torment that he's experiencing on a daily basis for years and years and years. And then we see Jesus show up and this man just running, screaming, whatever he can do, whatever is, is human still in this man, his humanity is crying out and running to Jesus. And then he falls at his feet. And so um, we want to put this in perspective when we ask the question, are demons scary? I mean, we have a lot of movies that would say they are. A lot of exorcism movies. Um, yeah, they are on some level. But we have to see that they're their scariness in, in perspective. And so here's the perspective. 5,000 demons are pulling this man in the other direction, but God is drawing him and he ends up at Jesus' feet. 5,000 demons um, fall trembling before Jesus, begging like dogs for him not to torment them. So however scary you think demons are, our King Jesus is infinitely more terrible and awesome than every evil force put together. That is who we serve. And that was a preview of coming attractions. Philippians 2.10 says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And so this, this awesome and terrible Jesus, what does he do with his power? He seeks this man out, he draws him to himself, and he doesn't wait for this man to get it together or even make a request. Do you see what he does here? It's, it's easy to miss in the way that Luke reports this story. The first words are Jesus commanding the demon to get out. He sees this poor pitiful man running, limping, whatever he's doing to get to him. And before the man can even get there and open his mouth to make a request... Jesus begins commanding the demons, get out of this man. And so the demons fall at his feet. And they say this, what have you to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? And the answer, of course, is everything. Because I came for this. I came because of the torment that sin and evil have brought to the crown of my creation. <laughs> And I've come to make a way, I've come to bring healing and restoration and make a way for people to be reunited with God, to flourish and be whole once again. So I have everything to do with you and your master, and I'm destroying the work that he is doing. And how? How does he do this? How does he restore? How does he dignify? How does he heal? How does he redeem? Jesus becomes like this man in his place, in our place. He becomes isolated and degraded and separated from God. He becomes like these pigs. He becomes unclean, full of evil, and ultimately destroyed for you and for me. That's how our awesome Jesus uses his power. And uh, as much as I would like to use this opportunity uh, to direct us to the table right now, uh, I can't do that because our passage doesn't end there. What we have to do now is confront maybe what's even more sinister and scary than this demonic possession at the beginning of the passage. 
we have to see what happens to the nice and respectable people of the town. It says that the, the herdsmen, uh, the people who are keeping the pigs, and, and keep in mind probably what's happening here, there's 2,000 pigs. So this is likely what this was is these are like the livestock investments of many, many people in the surrounding area. And they have hired collectively uh, these herdsmen to take care of their assets for them. So these herdsmen see what happened. They see this man get healed. They see the demons go into the pigs. They see the pigs run off the side into this uh, sea and be drowned. And they, they run away and they tell everyone what's happened. And so people begin to run and to see with their own eyes what has happened. And it says that these people come and they see this man. They see the, the man who was formerly demon-possessed. They see the man who was tormented for years and years. Think about this. He was crying out. They knew about him. He was loud. He was crying out day and night. I mean, this, there were probably ghost stories about this man that people were telling their kids. And they see this man who they've been terrified of and who has been a constant fixture in their life healed and in his right mind. But guess what else they see? They see all of their assets drowned and worthless now in the sea. And it says that they were seized with great fear. And that word there for fear is severe distress aroused by intense concern for impending pain. They weren't seized with awe. They weren't seized with gratitude. They weren't seized with joy. They were seized with fear of something painful that they imagined was coming their way. So now we need to pop back up to the beginning of this whole thing and remember what Jesus is helping us see and consider in this passage. What do I take comfort in? What am I afraid of? Because we have to remember that the demons that were at work in this passage are not limited to the 5,000 demons that were in this man. You better believe that there are some demons who were crafting an entire culture that these people were living and thriving in. Setting themselves up as false gods who can give life and protect you. Working to destroy and degrade people and separate them from their God. So, why are these people terrified? Well, I'm sure there was just some, some awe of like the power of Jesus. But then I also think they were terrified because they had made peace with evil, because they were okay. And not only did they make peace with evil, but they've been so deceived that they actually desired evil. They were finding life in something apart from the living God. And as long as that thing is okay, which by the way, that's called an idol. As long as that thing is okay, that I think is giving me life, I don't really care about anything else. You know, what, is, what does Jesus say? Like people ask him, all, all the Old Testament, the greatest commandments, what are they? To love God with everything that you have and everything that you are. And you know what? I'm actually okay with not doing that as long as I'm comfortable. So if we, for a second, think that we have not been oppressed, at least collectively, by demons, then we're deceiving ourselves, and we've been deceived. 
what would you run up and see drowned in the sea that would make you ask Jesus to leave? You know, these can be huge things. These can be small, everyday little things. I'll tell you one example from my life recently. Um, I've been taking improv classes, and it's been really fun. Uh, but then also something started happening in me. Like, I really need something from this. And I uh, really started feeling like the energy leave the room and feeling like the Lord was asking me to, or telling me, hey, that's enough. And me saying, no, it's not. No, because I need something that's coming from this. Um, and in his love, he brought a couple other people into my life to say, no, I think you're done for now. Um, but I mean, that, that's just, that's a little example. But like that kind of pull is happening all the time, all the time. It can be big, it can be small. So, you know, just a few things to prime the pump as you think about this and, and really as you ask the Holy Spirit to help you see this. Is it your unhealthy dating relationship disappearing? Is that what would ask you to ask Jesus, make you ask Jesus to leave? Like, hey, I know this is wrong and I know this is bad, but like this is where I'm finding life and so you can leave. Is it someone entering your home to see how you're treating your spouse and your kids? You know, here's a huge one, I think, for, for maybe everyone. Is it your career that you worship? Is it, is it my career that I will sacrifice everything for? My soul, uh, my family, my ethics? Because I'm desperate because this is the thing. This is the thing that's going to give me life. Nothing can touch this. I'm going to say, I will never say no to this. I'm glad to say no to other things. I will never say no to that because that is my life. What about, is it um, your social circle or maybe even like our social circle in this congregation being turned upside down and people that are very different coming in? Would we say, no, Jesus, you can leave. I, I like the way it was before. It was nice just having some friends here and like we kind of do our own thing. Is it your pet sins being exposed? I don't know, um, but you do. And maybe if you don't, Jesus does, and he's glad to tell you because he's come like he has in this passage for this man to set us free, to set us free from what promises life but is really death. And the scariest part of this whole story to me is that they asked Jesus to leave and he did. As, as a great theologian once said, Jesus is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on you. And so, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. We who are so um, oppressed and deceived uh, in so many ways, we are desperate for you. We are desperate for you to come and, and open our eyes and lead us to life even when we're asking you to leave us alone. But what about this man? Um, this is beautiful. Uh, it says, this man, they come and see him. He is sitting at the feet of Jesus, fully clothed and in his right mind. He is now the sanest and healthiest man in this entire country. 
And what does he say? He's like, Jesus, get me out of here. Because I'm surrounded by people who have seen me tormented for years and they don't even care that I'm healthy. They're just concerned about their bottom line. How evil and how disgusting is that? Get me out of here. Let me come with you because I don't want to live among these people. When I can see straight, when I'm sober, I don't want to be here. But Jesus says, no, you need to stay and you need to tell these people all that God has done for you. And here's the beauty for us on this side of the cross, the Holy Spirit lives in us, that Jesus lives in us, and he's not limited by his physical person anymore. We get to go and stay at the same time. How awesome is that? That you and I get to sit at Jesus' feet for all eternity starting now. We never have to be apart from him. We never have to leave him. And we get to go into the lives of the men and women and the children that God puts in our path and tell them all of the amazing things that God has done for me. And guess what's going to happen? He is going to use, it says in Revelation, the blood of the lamb and the testimony of the saints. He's going to use our testimony and the truth of what he accomplished on the cross. And he's going to set people free from demonic possession and oppression and deceit just like he has for us and just like he continues to do for us. This spirit of God that terrifies demons lives inside of you. And he is calling us, as our vision statement says, um, to be set free, to continually be set free in him and to set others free, to see the entire city of Nashville clothed and in their right minds sitting at Jesus' feet. And so now we get to celebrate um, this union that we have because of Jesus at the table. Um, And because of what Jesus has done, we get a, a foretaste of what is coming for all eternity. We get a very powerful, there's something that happens at this table that doesn't happen through the preached word, although that's very important. It doesn't happen through the word read or proclaimed. It doesn't happen through the worship through song. The Lord has given us this table specifically to say, I want you to come to this table. I want you to tangibly taste and see and feel and smell and experience and use all of your physical senses to experience this spiritual reality um, that my body was broken for you so that you could have life. So you could be set free um, from the work of Satan and his demons. So that you could have full life in me and my blood has been poured out. The cup of God's wrath has been poured out on me. I've taken all of the the results (laughs) and the schemes of uh, all of this demonic activity throughout the history of the world into my very person so that you could be set free and have life. And so now the cup that is poured out that is the cup of my blood is also the cup of God's wedding feast. You do not drink this cup as an enemy of God. This is not his wrath. This is his pleasure. You are his son. You are his daughter because of what I have done for you. So you eat and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. And so this table, the way that we celebrate, we come, we kneel, um, We receive the elements. Uh, We would welcome you to ask for prayer. Um, If you want prayer, you can either just say so or you can cross your arms. Um, But just spend time at the feet of Jesus up here. And you can put your hands out when you're ready to receive the elements and we'll give them to you. And this table is for everyone. (laughs) This table is for everyone uh, 
even those who are the most severely demon-possessed, even, even the ones who have committed the most evil, um, because there is no evil power, there is nothing that we have said, done, or thought that is beyond uh, the powerful work of Jesus. He's done everything to set us free. And so this table is for anyone who says, I know that I am like this man. I will limp and screech and, and find my way to get to Jesus because I am a sinner who deserves God's wrath. And Jesus is the only Savior, and he is offering himself to me, and I am receiving him in faith to say, yes, <laughs> I am healed in you. And so uh, I'm going to pray for us. Worship team is going to come up, and we're going to take this meal together. Father, um, Lord, thank you for your love. Uh, Lord, would you work in our hearts? Would you lead us to this table? Um, Lord, would you work against the, the demonic activity uh, even now that would speak shame to us and guilt to us um, that feels like it's keeping us from you, not propelling us to you? Lord, would you um, work against the demonic activity of, of being uncomfortable? I don't know if it's just me, but it's hot in here. Uh, and wouldn't the enemy love to uh, disrupt us and cause us to not be present with you in this beautiful spiritual union uh, that you invite us to that is your table. So Lord, fight for us, fight in us, lead us to yourself and let us find life in you uh, in deeper ways than we have ever experienced before, even now. And I ask that in Jesus' name, amen.